Okay. <clears throat> well, you know we've been studying in Galatians. You can be opening up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> we've had a long study. We're going to be continuing for several more weeks in this. And, uh, you know, of course, seems like I keep harping about it. You know, I keep talking about it. But one of the major themes in the letter to the churches in Galatia was the Judaizing teachers, right? The right of circumcision was a major issue in the early church, right? We read about that in Acts 15. Uh, the writer Luke talks about how they were coming into the church and saying, you have to be circumcised to be saved just because you have this belief in Christ, just because you have obeyed the gospel, you still got to be circumcised. You still have to keep the law of Moses, right? And so this is going on and on and on, and they're still hearing this, especially those who were among the Jews who had become Christians, who were actually believers. They were trying to say, you still got to be circumcised. You still got to keep the law. And Paul is having to rebuke this, having to refute it, saying, no, it's not about the law. We have liberty. We have freedom. We have freedom in Christ through his love for us and our love for him. It's not about keeping the law. That was our tutor. That's how we know right and wrong. That's how we know about God. He's revealed himself to us, his righteousness, his, his um, love for us, his willingness to sacrifice for us. But it's not about keeping that law. He designed us to be loving toward him as he has loved us. He's designed us to glorify him in the way things that we do in our lives, in the way we live, and the way we treat others. <clears throat> there in chapter 5, we've been reading the first few verses. Let's go back and read. I want to start back at the beginning of chapter 5 and just read again. And he's really getting very adamant about this now. He's, he's talked about the fact that they've been uh, letting these folks come in and, and lead them away, uh, persuade them that there are still things they have to do. And let's see what he says, beginning in verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to, the, say to you that if you, become uns, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And we know where that ends up. Nobody can keep the law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. What a powerful verse. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And we talked about that last week, right? What that righteousness, what that hope was, right? And then verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Paul argues that circumcision is nothing. It's neither, it's not anything. It avails nothing. Now you can imagine what that sounds like to the first century Christians. To us, maybe it doesn't mean that much, right? We, we, don't, we don't have anybody telling us we got to be circumcised. And we don't have anybody saying you got to keep the law of Moses. But we do have other things. We have other doctrinal things that folks say, well, this is wrong, that's wrong. You know, we got to deal with that, right? But Paul's saying we have liberty. 
It's not about the law. It's about faith working through love. Parr says you, this has become irrelevant. The Greek word translated avails is translated, it's the word ischuo, I believe I pronounced that right. And you can define that to say that's uh, to have power or to be strong, strong in health, avails, powerful, uh, extraordinary, by extraordinary deeds, right? Uh, you're able to exert, you're able to wield power, to have a strength to overcome, to be a force. And he's saying circumcision avails nothing. There's no power in that. There's nothing about that that is applicable to being a Christian. So if neither circumcision or uncircumcision has power in Christ, what does? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. What does it mean to have power in Christ Jesus? If it's not circumcision, if it's not keeping the law of Moses, then what is it? What's it about? Well, first and foremost, we need to talk about faith again. I'm going to talk about that. I know you have heard about faith for all of your life, especially as Christians. We're going to talk about it again. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's read the definition of faith there in verse 1. <clears throat> 11, Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now that's a pretty simple statement, right? Pretty powerful too, though, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We have a hope through our faith, right? It, we don't, we don't, we know when, when we're dead and thrown in the ground, that's not it. We have a hope, right? Being raised again. And it becomes an evidence of things not seen. That's an interesting statement, right? That may be a little bit hard to understand, right? How does that become evident of anything, right? Well, we're gonna talk about that. The NIV says, a little bit different. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Vine says faith is a firm conviction. You might think of it as a confident trust. You've probably heard somebody talk about before we go through life, we have, we, we live our life in faith, really. You know it? I mean, think about it. Uh, when you get in a car every day, do you think you're going to get in a wreck? Do you think you're going to run into a telephone pole? Well, no, you have faith. You believe that the car is going to get you to the grocery store, right? And you have a part in that, right? How about coming into this building today, right? Were you here when this building was built? Some of you might have been. I don't know. Maybe there's probably a couple in here that were some when it was built. And maybe you saw some things that you didn't like, right? But you come here, you don't even think about the fact that this building's going to stand up while you're sitting in here. Now, there was one time a few years ago when something fell right over here. We had a light fall. That was pretty wild. I never dreamed that was going to happen. Some of you were here for that. But when you come in here, you just have faith. This building's going to be standing here. It's not going to fall on me. I'm not going to get rained on. Right? You don't even think about it. Everything we do in life, there's some level of faith to it. Belief. Yeah, there's some evidence to it. We have some history that we can go back to and say, okay, well, this building's always been here. It's stood up. I've never had an issue in the past. I don't know why I would have an issue now. Of course, when Murphy gets in the house, things kind of can go bad, right? I can tell you about that. I'm a programmer, all right? 
pretty much any time I do anything, Murphy's always lurking around the corner. <clears throat> we have faith in our lives all the time. Yeah, we can see the building, but Christ, but Paul says the faith that we can we have here is for things not seen. A certainty. A certainty of what's going to happen because of what we've been told. And yeah, we have some evidence too. You know, one is creation. We just go outside and look around. There has to be a God. And then we have the Word. He's revealed some things to us. He's revealed truths that we can understand. Simple truths that we can know, that we can have faith by, right? So faith is something we pretty much have every day. We got to have faith to be able to live. You know, there's some folks that won't leave their house because they don't have faith. They're afraid, right? There's a fear. Without faith, there's a certain level of fear, right? So faith becomes important. <clears throat> Turn back over there to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's see about that importance. We've been talking about it. Let's read about it. <clears throat> Just read verse 1. Let's go over to verse um, 5. He says, the Hebrew writer says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is essential to pleasing God. Wow, okay. So we have this God that we don't necessarily see physically, but we can't please him without it. Turn over to... Uh, John chapter 8. And we're going to be jumping around some scriptures. I hate to jump around all the time, but uh, we, we need to look at these. They're pretty powerful statements, and I want to look at them today. John 8, verse, uh, starting in verse uh, 20, 23. <clears throat> and it says, he's, John 8, 23, And he said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Therefore faith is essential to forgiveness. If you don't believe, if you don't have faith, you're going to die in your sins. Without faith, the only alternative is doubt. And this is what I was alluding to a while ago about not leaving your home. Some people can't do it. They're too afraid. Matthew 14 see something that's said there. Matthew 14, verse 29. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was bolsterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This is an example of Peter losing his faith, right? Of starting to sink because he became afraid. Without faith, what are we left with? What are we left with? Doubt, right? Accompanied with fear. Some folks, you know, with the pandemic and all that stuff, we, we saw a lot of that, right? We saw some folks that were pretty scared. And I understand that. 
Absolutely. I, I was scared at the beginning, especially. We didn't know. We didn't know about everything. We didn't understand everything. And it makes you afraid. And so you have to rely on that faith. Yeah, we have faith in doctors too, don't we? But doctors don't always deliver. So we can understand that, right? Without faith, we have fear. Without faith, it's hard to get out of the house. Without faith, that things are going to work based on the things they've been in the past, it's hard to live. Why, why do we, why, what is the big deal about faith? I mean, yeah, God has to have, God says you got to believe in me. He wants you to believe in me. But it should be producing some things in your life. All right? Turn over to Romans chapter 5. It's not just about having faith. It's going to do something for you. There's some things we can obtain or attain through faith. Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope, the glory of God. We have that hope. We have a joy. We have a peace through that faith, right? I can't imagine trying to live life without that. Life would be in turmoil. Romans 15, turn over there. See what he says there. Verse 13, 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul sums it up pretty much with that verse right there. Faith should produce hope, and through that hope, joy, and through that, peace. I say, well, I, what's that mean? You can live a life that the world doesn't understand, right? When the world comes to you and says, you believe in God, that's stupid. There's no God. wonderful peace that you'll never understand because you don't have that faith. That's something that it gets, that produces, that uh, faith produces. Those with faith are able to re receive a, a certain amount of power. You realize that? A power to live. Galatians 2, we talk about that, living in Christ, in that liberty. And that liberty through his design. You see, God designed us. He created us in his image. And he created us to love him, to choose him. He gave us that freedom of choice. But when we choose him, we show our love for him. And that's how he designed us, to live in love. In other words, it's like being in heaven on earth. Pretty simple when you think about it. Maybe not so much to live it out, but that's a point. That's the point here. We can overcome the world. Not only that, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. And look at verse 16. Let's see what he says right there. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, 
there is a, a devil. Satan exists. He's real. We know from the word that's been revealed to us. And he's active. He's trying to steal as many souls as he can. Through faith, we then have the power to overcome. You say, well, I'm, I, I can't deal with it. I, I got these struggles. I can't overcome things. I, I have these sins that I keep committing and I just can't get past it. Maybe you need to be in the Word. Maybe your faith needs to increase. And we can read about that too. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 1, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from, our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Faith is something that has to grow. It, you don't just have it and that's it. It has to continue to mature, continue to grow. Through that growth process, we overcome the world. We are able to handle things better and more uh, abundantly. Not only that, we have folks with us. We have each other, that love for each other. We're able to go to each other, confess our issues, confess our sins to each other. Because we know our brethren are going to love us, be able to help us not condemn us, not put us down, not say, you're an idiot, but try to help us through it because they know they have struggles too. We're in this together. And through that faith that's growing, we can overcome the world. A thriving, growing faith in Christ has great power, first and foremost. And that's what we're talking about here. It's not keeping the law. It's not being, continue to be circumcised. It's that faith we have. But not only that, to have a vibrant spiritual life, we got to get to work. It's not just the faith. There's also the service, the work we got to be doing. Vibrant work. There are different types of works, though, right? There's a works of merit. Works that are done to earn something, right? Those who have done such works believe they deserve something. And we can understand that. Do you go to work and expect to get a paycheck? I don't know. A lot, a lot of folks in here, I guess, are retired, so I go to work to pay your Social Security, but that's okay, because I'm, I'm happy to do it, right? I'm happy to support you, but those of us who work don't do it for free. We got to eat, right? We gotta have a roof over our heads. So we expect something in return for that labor that we do. However, turn over to Titus chapter three. <clears throat> Titus chapter three, and let's start reading in verse one. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, 
to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can't be saved by works. Not possible. Yeah, we have to, we expect something in return for the things we do, but as Christians, we're not doing that for salvation. What kind of works are we supposed to be doing then? What's, all, what's this all about? Turn over to Luke chapter 17, and let's see. Maybe we can read something there that will help us understand. <clears throat> Luke 17, verse 6. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? And after you will eat and drink? Does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you're commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We, would, we have done what was our duty to do. You see, the kind of works we're talking about is works that not done to earn something. Not done because we deserve something. We understand we're working because we deserve nothing. And God has provided a way out, a hope, a joy, a peace. There are different kinds of faith, right? That produce works or not produce works, right? Such works that were prepared beforehand by God. We can read about that in Ephesians 2. There is what's called a dead faith. And let's turn over to James chapter 2 and read about that. James chapter 2. In beginning of verse 14, he says, <clears throat> James says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So you can have a dead faith. James talks about it right there. Right? In, out in the world, in the, I guess you might say Christendom, right? We hear that a lot. Faith only. You're saved by faith alone. And it is through your faith that you're justified. Right? But through that faith comes obedience. Not that we're trying to gain something, not that we're trying to earn salvation, 
but we have to be of service. And that's through that love. We'll talk about that a little more in a second, but that's through that love. Remember that. There's also a demonic faith there in James 2. He talks about it, continuing. Verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You ever thought about that? You've probably heard that verse before, but have you ever really thought about it? Even demons have faith. They know who God is. They know about him. They know of him. But all they do is tremble. Well, they know what's ahead of them. They know what they're going to get. So there is that demonic faith. Demonic faith. James 20, let's continue on to see what else he says. Uh, uh, verse 20. But, do you, but do, you want, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for forgiveness, for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. I've been in discussions with folks that didn't think baptism was essential to salvation. Thought faith only, right? And I've had discussions, and that verse right there, Abraham believed God and he was justified. It was Canon Price's has been thrown in my face hundreds of times. And when it does, I'll just go to James and say, well, what about this? Where he says he was called a friend of God because he was justified by works and not by faith only. And they'll, get, you know, go around it and try to justify what they said. And I understand where he's coming from, you know. You are justified by faith. The works can't save you. What James is saying is if you don't have the works, if you're not having a faith that produces service, then it's dead. There is no faith. When something's dead, it doesn't exist anymore, right? So faith must produce works. Talk about the fact that faith is something that grows. We become more mature in it all the time. How do we do that? Through service. Through working. Getting busy. Not just sitting in the pew. Romans talks about it in verse chapter 1 and 6. An obedient faith is required by the gospel. And with that faith, with that right kind of faith, and with a faith that produces fruit, that produces good works, salvation is possible. We can bring glory to God. We can receive glory, honor, and peace. And our efforts to serve become strengthened by God. I want to point that out too. Philippians, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let's see what Paul said there. Philippians 2, verse 12. 
He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the will and to do for his good pleasure. When you have the faith, you trust in him, you turn everything over to him. Your life is now in service to God. It's not yours to live anymore. He works in you. Your works become his works. And so when we talk about works of faith, we're really talking about the works of God. It's not you. Yeah, you're going out, you're walking the streets or or, I don't know, teaching a class or visiting the sick, whatever it is. But it's God working through you. That's something you need to grasp, too, because it's not you. It's not about you. Faith without works is dead. Faith with works has great power. There's the other part of that. How do we have power in Christ Jesus? through that liberty that we have in him, through faith and the works that are performed because of it. And then the last part of that, in that verse, verse six, we need to remember, faith without works is dead, but any kind of faith or works without love is useless. Turn over to Matthew, and let's read a verse from Matthew 22. I've quoted this one several times, but we're going to read it today. <clears throat> Let's start with verse 34, Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Don't you just love that a lawyer was asking him this question right here? Testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And notice this last verse. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's not about the law. It's not about circumcision it's about loving the God that created you, created the universe and provided you a way of salvation a hope love is what inspires the noblest form of obedience turn over to John chapter 14 we studied this a few months ago but it's a powerful verse John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandment. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. If you truly love God, the faith, through the faith that you have in him, it's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce good works. It's going to produce obedience. How do we know what works to do? Well, 
through the word, through the law of Moses, the tutor, we know. There is salvation from sin, but some will obey out of fear, right? And a lot of times, that's when you're first baptized. That's pretty much the reason you're doing it, right? Fear of punishment. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. You need to be saved. Others obey out of selfishness. Right? What am I going to get out of this? And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. If you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into this death and you're raised in newness of life. That's a good thing. But the highest form of obedience is out of love. And you can think back when you were first baptized. Maybe you didn't have the maturity you have now. Maybe your love for God was just mental in the head. Maybe not so much from the heart. And we talked about that. Faith is a growth process. It's not something you can just sit there and think, that's it, I'm done. And as you grow, things happen. Things are going to happen from your life that you never dreamed of happening, right? The works that you produce, the fruit that comes from that. And that's through that love we have for him. You ever heard anybody say, I don't like that preacher. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else because I don't get anything out of it. Or all those people up there, you know, they're just afraid of going to hell. There's no such thing. Ever heard anybody say that? Well, if you're not getting to the point where you're doing things out of your love for God, maybe you need to be thinking about your salvation. Maybe that's something that you need to be wondering about. It's not just to be fearing him. It's not just to be doing something so you get at something out of it. It's serving him and glorifying him because that's how he designed it. You see, in heaven, I don't know what it's going to be like exactly. I can't express that in physical form. But I would imagine the love we're going to feel for each other is going to be multitudes what we have here on earth. More, multitudes more. I can imagine the joy that's going to be in heaven as multitudes what we can have here on earth. You ever think about that? What that's going to be like? What's it going to be like when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest? You ever thought about that? We can't imagine it though, can we? Not really. Baseball team wins the World Series one year. Next year, they're done in three. You go from one high to one low in one year's time, right? Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But with God... We never have that. We have that hope of eternity with him, a life lived with him, of full of joy, love, peace. And it's not anything we can even fathom here on earth. We get let down here on earth all the time, don't we? We have faith in things. Sometimes they don't work out. We get disappointed. Not through God. That's that hope we have, right? Through that, we also have that love 
toward one another. John 13, turn over to verse chapter 13. Verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. That's pretty simple right there, isn't it? That's how the world's going to know that you are disciples of Christ because you have love for each other. A love that comes from your faith in God and puts you to work. To the point where you'll do things like go visit somebody you hardly know in the hospital because they're sick. They need some encouraging. Or you'll fix a meal for a whole nother family and drive 30 miles down the road so they can eat because mama's sick and then come back and feed your family, right? Or you'll take someone to the doctor that can't drive because their legs are not able to do it. Those are the kinds of things we're talking about. Yeah, those are simple things. They don't sound like much, but to the world, to a dark, dying world, when those things are done, God is glorified. And that's how they know you are Christians. They may not want to talk about it. They may not say anything about it. But they know, they know you have a love for God, your love for each other. Through that love, good works are produced. Through that faith, good works are done. And there is salvation from sin, and we have power over Satan, and we have hope, joy, and peace. What power! we have in Christ Jesus. Time is up. Thanks for being here.